You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is the critic for NPR's All Things Considered. He's the author of The Grandmother's Club, The Light Possessed, To Catch the Lightning. His newest book is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Again, a pleasure, Ruth. We have three very interesting books that are all pretty much arguably science fiction, horror, fantasy, It's but of a very, um, they don't seem so much like that, do they, anymore? No. Well, there's one thing, you know, that you can say about each of these that's really a terrific pleasure to read. Um, you can't say that in the same way about a, you know, a serious, uh, often a serious work of art. Um, you might have a lot of other wonderful things to say, but, um, you know, the pacing of, of each of these and, and what the pleasure they impart to us is really quite lovely, quite wonderful. Let's uh, start with uh, Brent Hardinger's *A Shadow Walker*. So I-, I thought this was had a, a fantastic uh, monster, <laughs> and so yeah, it, it yeah. really caught me. That, yeah. that aspect really caught me, uh, well, and it's got a great premise too, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we should say it's a, you know it's young adult science fiction, mm-hmm. and I think you have to put it in that category. Uh, it's also uh, I don't mean to put this in a category, but it's got really interesting character Zach, the narrator. Uh, He's not only been flirting with the notion of astral projection, he's also flirt, flirting with uh, one of the boys on this island in Puget Sound where he lives with his grandparents. So he, you, you've got a gay, young gay protagonist trying to uh, figure out his life, and, uh, and then his little brother gets kidnapped. Um, and Zach, who's also, he's a big flirt, right? He's also been flirting with, he's been reading about astral projection, you know, out-of-body out of travel. And he manages to perfect this in time to go off in search of his missing brother. And so it's, it's really a lot of fun. It's it's uh, different from watching kids zigzag across the sky and you know on broomsticks or trying to look like little Supermans and something like Harry Potter. It's it's an interesting, more more uh, I want to say down to earth, more more solid kind of. Uh, motion. It's, it's much easier for an adult, I think, to, to imagine what it might be like to float out of the body and travel through the night, you know, dozens if not hundreds of miles. Well, one of the things uh, that Hardinger does really well is he, you know, puts us in, in our world, this starts out in our world, and um, once we establish that, you know, the character is flirting with boys and he's gay, this idea of an out-of-body experience, you know, has a certain kind of externalization mm-hmm. value. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, this is a yep. way of dealing with some, if you don't understand what your body's doing or how you're supposed to feel about your body. Yes, what, that's a good point. What better way to get a perspective on it than to lay down and float miles out of, the, out of your body? And what more... Um, appropriate thing to happen than to encounter a very creepy and very well uh, drawn uh, Lovecraftian style monster. Yeah, right there. yeah, pretty scary, scary stuff, especially if you're a teenager. I mean, it's uh, kind of a, out of the out of the uh, dark side of the psyche projection that mm-hmm. monster. 
And, and I think one of the things that, that he does really well, the, the, the author does the pacing well. Um, this is a, it's a really quick read. But he keeps you involved with the characters on, the, on a character level. Yeah. That even though they're kids, you know, this makes sense. And this is, I think, the real – this book, uh, Hardinger seems to really understand how um, young adult fiction can appeal to adults. Well, this one certainly appealed to me. Yeah. I, mean, I read it, just, you know, zipped right through it. And, I mean, reading is a kind of out-of-the-body travel, isn't it? So mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I floated right away. <laughs> well, I, this book is, is a, it's a lot of fun, and it, it provides a few nice chills, a great monster, good characters, and you can't go wrong. It's certainly worth your valuable reading time. Yeah, if you have a teenager at home especially. Yeah. As for out-of-the-body travel, <laughs> don't try that at home. <laughs> don't try that at home. We're not advocating that at all, only in a supervised situation. Yeah, yeah. We, the Lovecraftian monsters need to stay where they are because we're apparently going to have quite a bit of uh, our own problems down here on Earth as uh, predicted by Stephen Pressfield in The Profession. Right. And, Military science fiction. And now, yeah, and it, it's interesting. Uh, Pressfield has gone, taken, written about the military in just about every age there's been one. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, when I, when I noticed his novels about, I guess about... Uh, Sparta. Um, I didn't really get interested in picking them up and reading them. They, I, I just assumed they were kind of, uh, you know, uh, body ripper, uh, historical fiction, mm-hmm. bodice ripper. I just out of the, out, out of the bodice travel, bodice ripper uh, historical fiction. What we call sword and sandals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I never really paid attention until this one, when the, the the notion of military science fiction kind of engaged me. Um, and he he does really well. He's quite a good writer, quite a good writer. He knows his military hardware, but uh, the the political situation that he describes in America of the future, when uh, a general in the field uh, looks as though he can return to the U.S. and become a kind of uh, futurist Caesar. That's a really interesting situation. Well, I, I thought that I really liked the kind of uh, his science fiction and his, you know, his social projections. They're really kind of interesting and engaging. And, and I think that uh, he brings a certain kind of grittiness to science fiction. Because science fiction, I think, often is too reaching. I mean, in that um, for example, here we are in 2011, and 2001 still seems like it's way in the future, the mm-hmm. novel. Yeah, and, interesting paradox. And, and, uh, but his 2032 seems uh, frightening, realized, frighteningly real. And, and he kind of, because he's not approaching it from the science fiction aspect, but more from the historical and military aspect, he ratchets back on you know, technology and focuses yeah. on society and you know culture and and that and especially the economy. Yeah, the the on the the unending wars in the Middle East uh, mm-hmm. that form the basis for the political and military uh, background are are really interesting in the in the way that he extrapolates from where we are now. Uh, I mean, they seem to go on and on and on to us, and it looks as though they may go on and on and on. Uh, every, every country has four or five IRAs, and they're all fighting, and there's no no reason, it seems, for them to stop tomorrow, and they may go on into 2032, for all we know. 
Well, well, one of the things I think he he points out that he he makes clear by writing an engaging novel with a great plot is the importance that war is business. It's a big business, right? And as long as there's a profit in it, the likelihood of it going away is is uh, frighteningly small. And these people who are out there on the field, um, they have to. They're kind of you know the the grump workers of, of the year twenty thirty two. It's it's you know. I, maybe it's better than working in McDonald's. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I've never been in the, the Army in 2032, and I've never been working at McDonald's. But that's what novels do for you, right? They make they can make you feel one way or another uh, if the if the writer is good enough. But I, I I think this is a kind of you know the hardware aspect is fascinating. He knows his his weapons, mm-hmm. and uh, so this is kind of like a, a Tom Clancy novel set in the future with actual seriously interesting characters. Yeah, and I think, too, it's not just the hardware, which is also, as I say, as you say, is really very interesting. It, he also understands the, the strategy mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the tac- military tactics and yeah. how that, right. and, and combining um, the tactics, the characterization, and the hardware in the way he does seamlessly to kind of make it all seem, um, you know, both frightening and fun to read. I think it's a it's really a skilled and and well wrought novel. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and it's a it's a novel that when you pick it up, you won't want to put it down. And when you put when you finally do finish it, you'll think you'll look around the the world that you live in and think you know how many aspects of his future are already present in 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 the world around us. Yeah, I'm afraid uh, it's our world only slightly ratcheted up ever so slightly. Yeah, yeah, that's uh it's not a, it's not a comforting vision by any means. No. And, and you know, I, you were talking earlier about, you know, the the uh literary value of this, you know, or, or you know, comparing this to an astounding work of, you know, um kitchen window epiphany fiction. And, and it's, you know, I, I think it's kind of hard to tell what's going to pan out to be really important. I mean, um we can always look to the example of Arthur Conan Doyle, who thought his Sherlock Holmes stuff was completely disposable, and he's writing these kind of weird historical novels and mm-hmm. romances that he thought were his really important fiction, and nobody yeah. wants to read that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like going into a new marriage thinking this is the one that's going to stick, right? Yeah. <laughs> There, there, there's a, a, a frightening comparison Sometimes you're as right, well. sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Blessed are those who are right. Blessed are those who are right. Now, um, our, our third book is also science fiction, and this does something I really, really love in science fiction. It's Ben Bova, The Leviathans of Jupiter. Yeah, and he, he, there's, a, there's a prequel to this, mm-hmm. uh, Jupiter, his novel that came out about 10 years ago, uh, which puts us on the verge of the discovery of uh, of life in the strange ocean of Jupiter. Um, but this is it, it, it's really interesting. It's got it's politics. It's got interesting characters. It's got uh, lovely settings and wonderfully imaginative settings, actually. And um, it, it really moves rather swiftly. And I love it because it's built with. Uh, uh, Dozens and dozens and dozens of very short chapters. Mm. It was really, I, that makes it really a, a super quick read. But for me, 
one thing I think that science fiction can do and does not do often enough is to give us really interesting, really complicated characters who are mm-hmm. not human. And yeah, that, well, you've given away the surprise. <laughs> well, that that's one of the things that I think this book does superbly well, yeah. and it's really important, and it's a very interesting yeah. um, because when we contemplate what is not human and what the perceptions of things which are not human, you can't help but in the same use that as a means to contemplate what is human. Right. I mean, this is a. I mean, okay, we can say it flat out. It's a first contact novel, mm-hmm. and. Interestingly enough, the creatures who live beneath the ocean of Jupiter, the Leviathans, view uh, the human travelers who come down to undersea to their level in in, a, in an oddly familiar way, because it, 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 the psychology of it is much the same as our own, were we to be visited by creatures from beyond our particular, call it, ocean of air. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, too, that kind of uh, the the first contact novel has a lot of, uh, you know, ringing back and forth. I, I, I'm just thinking now of what uh, Stephen Hawking said about uh, SETI, that he's not so hot on <laughs> SETI since uh, first contact tends to turn out badly for the less developed civilization. Mm-hmm. And, and But I think that uh, uh, Bova, the, in terms of, Extending the adventure of the first novel and creating, you know, a, a really exciting read in this novel. I think he just does a superb job, and this is a really a lot of fun to read. And it's, you know, appropriately thought provoking. And um, there's a, a term in science fiction, and he absolutely nails in this book. It's called sense of wonder. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's the real one of the real pleasures that only good science fiction can give you. It's interesting, you know, there's almost kind of rhythmical pulse to the narration so that every time, you know, you, you might get embroiled in the, in the politics, the basically uh, intergoal, you know, interplanetary politics of, you know, is this project going to go forward, this exploration of Jupiter's ocean, is it going to go forward, uh, will the politicians who are interested in it allow it to go forward, who will end up on top politically, um, and every once in a while, People duck out into this, this uh, kind of galley or corridor that's open, in which you can see the stars through this thick uh, metallic-like glass, or you can see Jupiter uh, from the ship as they get closer to, to Jupiter. And it's a really kind of wonderful reminder of where we are and how to place all this petty squabbling, in, you know, in what context to place it all. And that uh, gives us an interesting perspective on both of the other books, which um, certainly the the uh, uh, Hardinger book takes us outside of our perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, the the squabbling that you're talking about is taking place on back on the Earth that Stephen Pressfield's writing about. Yeah, but this uh, you know this really uh, I, I'm not sure enough about the, you know pure science fiction criticism these days, uh, such as it may be. But, I mean, this really puts Bova in the mainstream of major science fiction writers, would you say? Oh, yeah. No, this is a, this is a, a fine science fiction novel, and it really does bring back... It brings back 
you know, science fiction has been kind of splintered of late with, mm-hmm. you know, cyberpunk and these kind right. of uh, offshoots. And this brings back kind of what, for me, brought me to science fiction mm-hmm. in the first exactly. place. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's, it's, it's really classic and, and uh, absolutely engrossing and engaging because it's such, such a classic piece of uh, science fiction. Yeah, it's re- very reminiscent. The, the feeling I got from this was a lot, uh, was uh, similar to what I felt when I read uh, Rendezvous with Rama by mm-hmm. um, oh yeah by Clark that kind of real sense of wonder and that sense of joy that humans can even have that possibility of yes. this happening and that's a really that's a again a, a reading experience that's unique to science fiction. It's really strange the effect that really good uh, fiction can have on us. That I mean, there are a lot of us who probably mourn Arthur Clark more deeply than we do certain members of our family who passed <laughs> on. Uh, he gave so much to so many people. And, mm-hmm. and, and in a way, Bova is trying to pick up that torch, and carry think, it along. And he thinks, I think he's doing quite a fine job. Mm-hmm. I agree. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. His forthcoming book is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. He's a critic for NPR's All Things Considered. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure again, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.